Let me invite you to open your Bibles or turn them on. We're going to be in uh, Acts chapter 1 today. Acts chapter 1. I was thinking this first graduating class that uh, some of you have known since before kindergarten. So that's kind of cool to have watched the whole K through 12 years take place. So Christianity rises and falls on the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is not just the, and they all lived happily ever after ending to the tragic story of the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 actually says these words, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So we've been in this series since Easter called 40 Days, where we're looking at the 40 days in between the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And the resurrection is absolutely essential to the Christian faith. You say, why? Because if Jesus hadn't risen from the dead, his life would have the same ending as all of ours. But the gospel is not a story of death and depression. It's a story of life and joy. God intends, through the gospel, to bring new life to you, to bring joy to your heart, to your existence, hope for all eternity. And He desires to use your life, this church, He desires to use us to bring glory to his name. Do you realize that Jesus didn't just die for your sins? He rose again so that you might have new life in him. And his resurrection rewrites your life story. So there's this word called the gospel. It's a word that we use frequently in church. It means the good news. It is the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And the story of how Jesus rewrote history, rewrote our lives, brought all things together unto the power of his name, takes place through several divine events. And we could go all the way back to the pages of Genesis to begin this, but let me just frame for you some of the divine events of the gospel. It starts with the incarnation. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Son of God took on flesh and came and lived among us. So then we have the sinless life. Now this is critical to your understanding of the good news of Jesus Christ, that he lived a life that we could not live. He lived a sinless life, so he lived as our substitute. And then we have the crucifixion where Jesus died as our substitute, making an atonement for our sins. Then what's the next big event after the crucifixion? The resurrection. So through the resurrection, we understand that Christ overcame death, and by doing so, He brought eternal life to all who believe. Well, then what's after the resurrection? The ascension, right? The ascension where he goes back up into heaven. Christ arose into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, 
And then the next big step in the divine events revolving around Jesus is the second coming. That Jesus one day will come again, and whenever he comes again, he will redeem all things to the glory of his name. Anyone in the room a middle child? Anybody in the room a middle child? God bless you. Middle children are the Jan Bradys of this world. Did you know this, that August 12th, 2022 is National Middle Child's Day? I'm guessing that nobody in the room has plans at this point, right? Because you're middle children, right? Always forgotten. And if they did celebrate Middle Child Day, they would probably forget to invite you, right? So I know it's getting hard, isn't it? But uh, the oldest, you know, the oldest child says, I make the rules. The youngest child says, the rules don't apply to me. The middle child says, I'm the reason for the rules right? So the ascension is kind of, (laughs) I love this one up here, the moment he realized he was the middle child, this kid over here looking like, oh man. So here's something just theological, has nothing to do with middle children, but you'll see where I'm going. The The ascension is kind of the middle child of the gospel story. We're familiar with the cross. We're familiar with the resurrection. We talk about the second coming, and we have our charts, and we have our books, and we have our movies, and all that about the second coming. We have a lot of framework on these other aspects of the gospel, but how long has it been since you heard a sermon, read a book, saw a movie about the ascension? But nestled in between the resurrection and the second coming is this event that most of us hydroplane over, and rarely do we ever ask this question, why did Jesus need to ascend into heaven? Why is the ascension such a vital part of the gospel story? So look with me in Acts chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 11 with this reading here. He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. That's, that's the ascension right there in verse 9. And while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. And they said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way so that in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So let's talk about why the ascension of Jesus Christ matters. Reason number one, it signifies that through Christ, death has been completely conquered. He has conquered death. There's an author by the name of Don Piper. Anybody ever heard of the author Don Piper? Don Piper was actually the pastor of this church about 25 years ago. And he wrote a book called 90 Minutes in Heaven. 
And in that book, he talks about how he was in a car accident where his car was hit by a semi-truck, and he was pronounced dead on the scene. And so he believes, and he writes about how that for about an hour and a half, he was in heaven, and then he came back. Now, you may recall in the Bible the story of Lazarus, where Jesus wept, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus came back from the dead. You have other stories. You have Jairus' daughter, who was risen from the dead. You have the widow's son in Luke chapter 7, the Shunammite woman's son in 2 Kings. There's other stories of resurrection in the Bible. There's another story, that there's a story in Matthew 27 that we hardly ever talk about it. I call it the zombies of Jerusalem, where, uh, where the tombs open and the dead are walking through Jerusalem. I mean, it's in there, yeah. So, some of y'all, I've just lost a few of you right now. Where was that? Luke 20, Matthew 27, it's there in the Bible. Then there's Eutychus, Acts chapter 20. is one of my favorites. Poor guy. He was listening to the Apostle Paul preach, and he was in a third-story window. And the Apostle Paul was going on and on and on and on. And so the guy falls asleep in church and falls out of the window and dies. That's a Sunday right there, okay? (laughs) Nobody forgets that one, all right? And then Paul raises him from the dead. Okay, so there are stories of resurrection all through the Bible. But here's the difference. In all the other resurrection stories, there's a common denominator. They died again. They died again. They didn't conquer death. And so one of the most significant things about the ascension of Jesus Christ is that it reminds us that not only did Jesus rise again, he conquered death. So download this into your theological uh, lexicon or understanding. Christ will never die again. It is finished. The sacrifice has been made. He has conquered death through his resurrection. And by extension, he has conquered death for you and for me. Yes, we physically die. Yes, we grieve the death of people that we love. But we live eternally with Christ in heaven because death has been conquered. And the story of your life and mine does not end at the grave. But because of Christ's power, it extends through all eternity. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's a beautiful passage of Scripture. Where death is your victory, where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So the ascension reminds us that death has been conquered. Secondly, the ascension calls us to action. Now, if you were here last week, I'm looking for my water bottle. If you were here last week, 
you'll remember that we looked at Matthew 28, 18 through 20, and we talked about why do we have a church? What is the mission of the church? What has God called us to do? We looked at the Great Commission, and within the Great Commission, there are several activities, but it all revolves around one singular common call, and that is to what? Anybody remember? You got it. Make disciples. The primary task of the church is to make disciples. Everything we do revolves around the idea of making disciples. Our mission as a church is to worship, grow, is to lead people to worship, grow, and serve God through lives that are being changed by the power of the gospel. Our hope, our prayer, our target is that you will grow to know Christ and to follow him and that Christ's work in you will overthrow your, overflow your life so that you are also leading other people to be a disciple themselves. But here's a question. How do we make disciples? Make sure you zero in on verse 8 of Acts chapter 1. How do I make disciples? Jesus tells his disciples you will receive power. You will receive the ability. This transform transformative effect will happen in your life when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And then, when the Holy Spirit is on you, then you are going to be my witnesses. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and then you're going to go uh, across those geographical boundaries of your city, and you're going to be my witnesses in Judea, and then you're going to go across cultural boundaries, linguistic boundaries, faith boundaries, and you're going to become my witnesses in Samaria, and then it's not going to stop there. In fact, what I'm calling you to do, church, what I'm beginning here in Jerusalem is going to cross the oceans. It's going to go into the Americas. It's going to land in the great republic of Texas. It's going to transform people in Murphy, Texas. It's going to cause people to come out of their homes and to go into this little church to worship with other people that love God because the power of the gospel that came through the Holy Spirit is going to extend to the ends of the earth until the end of the age. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But you have to realize this. You really can't change people. Anybody ever tried to change someone? You also cannot make someone get saved. You can try to argue, you can try to convince them, but, but you really, you can't force them. But I know someone who can change anyone. I know somebody who can take a heart of stone and make it soft and loving. But we have to realize this, church, the genuine mission is not going to be accomplished through a business plan or through a dynamic personality. Making disciples is accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit as he opens hearts, as he allows his people to be a witness, as he draws people to himself, and as he changes people from the inside out. But you and I do play a part in that mission. Jesus says we're to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses. What's a witness? A witness is someone who truthfully, key word truthfully, testifies about what has happened. 
I think it's good to study apologetics. Apologetics is the defense of the faith. I think it's good to be able to have arguments as to why we believe the Bible to be true and, and trustworthy. I think it's good to, to study aspects of why the leap of faith that is necessary to believe in Christ makes sense. It's not just a leap into the blind. But do you realize this? The most powerful argument you have for the veracity of the gospel is your life. It's your story. You simply telling the story and living the story of Christ's redemption in you. Now let's realize something about Christianity. It is meant to be shared. Christianity is meant to be shared. And also, God can use you to lead other people to Christ. Learn to pray for others. Over the past week, I've come across a couple of different stories of people that were drawn to the faith because someone prayed for them, because they saw a genuineness and authenticity in God's people. I want to encourage you to invest and invite. Invest and invite. Take time to invest in your neighbors. Invest in the other parents at the school. Invest in relationships. Open your heart. Allow yourself to be vulnerable. Take down the walls and open your heart to connect with other people. Let them in. Invest in those relationships. And then look for those opportunities to invite to church. Look for those opportunities to invite to Christ. There are all sorts of opportunities to build that bridge. BBS. Hey, we're having Graduate Recognition Sunday at my church. Would you like to come? There's all sorts of things happening. There's a picnic coming up in a few weeks. Would you like to come have hamburgers and hot dogs? All sorts of opportunities for you to invest and invite and to be a witness. And then here we go. Learn to actually share the gospel story. And as you share the gospel story, ask someone, would you like to believe? Would you like to believe? Have you ever had the joy of leading someone to the Lord? Let me tell you, it's pretty cool to be there when the heart opens and they take that step of faith. Disclaimer, this is not the end of the sermon. But I want us to pray for just a moment. Is there a fire alarm going on? I want us to pray for just a moment. If you just bow your head. I want you to identify somebody in your life that you can invest and invite in. Somebody. Maybe it's the neighbor next door, somebody that you work with. You got that name? Let's pray for them right now. I'm going to lead us in a prayer, and I, I want to invite you to also just right where you are, to just pray for that person that God's leading you to, to take, take that step and invest in their life and perhaps be a witness to them. Father, we lift up names all around this room right now of people that need to be cared about, seen, respected, loved. We pray that you might give us opportunity to be witnesses 
that we will see people come to Christ, that we will see people take that step of faith, that we will see our church grow, but beyond numbers and buildings, that we will see people grow as they come alive in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I ask, Lord, that you will help us to be witnesses. It's in Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, One final thought about the ascension. The ascension reminds us that Christ will be back. Verse 10. While he was going, they were gazing into the heaven. I picture it like this. And then suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. Yeah. You got to put yourself on their sandals. And the men said, the men of Galilee, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven. And then I imagine him saying it like this, we'll be back. <laughs> he will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Do you ever get tired of all the pain and suffering? You ever get tired of the news stories? And just say, God, I wish you would do something about it. God, they tell me in church that you're all powerful and you're capable. Lord, would you please do something? Well, here's the deal. He is doing something about it. Because he's giving us an opportunity to live beyond that world. He's giving us an opportunity to have our hearts and our hope transformed. But there's also something that you need to wrap your mind around. He will do something about it. Because one day, Christ will come again. And whenever he comes again, he will not come as the innocent baby of Bethlehem. He will come as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You say, Lash, when do you think Christ will come again? Well, I have been doing a lot of calculations, and I've been cross-referencing verses, and here's my conclusion. I have no clue. (laughs) Absolutely no clue. But the ascension reminds me that all the things that the prophets said about the birth of Christ, they were fulfilled. That all the promises that were made about the life and death of Christ were fulfilled in Christ. That all the promises about the resurrection of Christ were fulfilled. And all the promises that have been made about the second coming of Christ will be fulfilled. There is hope that goes beyond just the realities of this world. The Mavs in seven... There's something more. There's something more than just hoping for the promotion at work or hoping that this might change in life. There is a hope that lives forever. And it is in that hope that we believe. That's the hope that... Sorry, I had a little emotional moment. That's the hope that allows me to know that I'll see my father again. Uh, It is the hope that allows us to believe and to know that one day the injustices and the pain of this world will be no more because Christ will redeem all things to the glory of his name and the creation itself will join with the believers of the centuries and we will form a choir that sings for all eternity of the majesty and power of Almighty God. 
And so we stand and we look up into the heavens and we think of the ascension of Christ, knowing that one day he will come again to redeem all things to the glory of his name. Now let's stand, bow our heads, and have a time of worship. As the band comes, Father, we pray that you will speak to our hearts, fill us with a hope that satisfies, a hope that pours into the arid aspects of our reality, the living water of Jesus Christ. I ask, Lord, that you will help us to rest in the gospel, to know that the truths of the gospel that have led us to this point will secure us for all eternity. And so we find strength today in the believer's victory. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. And hear this, church. Hear this as our prayer. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord.